and welcome to the latest episode of the Learning To Be podcast. This is a podcast for curious humans where I talk to incredible and inspiring guests about their journey of self-discovery and self-acceptance. My name's Amy Holdy and I'm a life coach and writer living in London. I work predominantly with women who feel they've lost touch with who they are, what makes them happy and quite simply they want more from life. But they feel guilty for saying it out loud because on paper their life looks successful. I talk more about my work as well as my everyday thoughts and experiences honestly and openly on my Instagram so you can follow me there at Amy Holdy. You can also head over to my website amyholdy.com to find out more about my work as a coach and download some free resources. This week I want to raise um, something with you before you listen to the episode with my beautiful guest Rochelle. So I want to talk about taking the time to honour and reflect on your feelings. Rochelle and I talk a lot about this. It's all too easy to fall into the habit of simply allowing yourself to react without thinking. This can lead to intense feelings of anger and frustration, particularly when you're trying to navigate a challenging situation. So um, next time you're in a situation that starts to make your blood boil or you feel like you want to lash out, Try to check yourself and instead of reacting, give yourself some time, if you can, to digest the situation and think about what it might be bringing up for you. Often it's not the actual situation itself that's making you angry, but it's triggering something else inside of you. Taking some time to reflect on these feelings before reacting can help to give you some clarity and take back control of the outcome. This is something that I've had to learn the hard way. And now a little bit about the conversation you're about to hear with my podcast guest Rochelle. Rochelle is the founder of The Vulnerable Project as well as working in her full-time job as a youth programme manager at Creative Mentor Network. Unsurprisingly, we talk a lot about vulnerability. Rochelle describes her struggle with her own vulnerability that led her to want to explore this in her work with The Vulnerable Project. She talks about how she's been confronted with her own vulnerability on a physical level by her body shutting down. We also chat about the complexities of parent-child relationships as you get older and Rochelle opens up about the healing process of connecting with her dad. Rochelle also speaks about not letting the trauma she's experienced in her life define her and doing the work now so that when she does decide to have children they won't have to carry that burden. Rochelle is a truly beautiful human that I've had the pleasure of getting to know over the last year. She's also been doing some incredibly important work by sharing her own and other stories of vulnerability. Um, Just before you listen to this episode, I want to give you a trigger warning that sexual abuse is discussed. But I'm sure you're going to really appreciate Rochelle's openness and honesty in this episode. So here it is. Today I'm talking to Rochelle Robertson, founder of The Vulnerable Podcast, which has been running for around a year now. Due to its success, it's evolving into The Vulnerable Project, a movement that brings people together in many ways to discuss and share stories of vulnerability. I started listening to The Vulnerable Podcast at the beginning of the year and was instantly hooked. I loved the way in which Rochelle's natural compassion, intrigue and her own experiences were woven into the way in which she interviews her guests. I'm really interested in how we all navigate our own vulnerability and use this as our strength. So I'm really excited to have Rochelle on the podcast today. Oh, that's so lovely. And so true. Oh, thank you so much. No, that's, I like that. I love to hear how people process what we're doing kind of say it back because that's really nice and also really true like you said that is actually why we do what we do what we do like describe it better than I could have described it so yeah that's really lovely oh good um so why vulnerability um what interested you 
quite interesting. I I think I initially struggled with vulnerability mm. like a lot. Um, hmm. Yeah, I I struggled with it essentially, and I my my body our bodies tend to know more about us than we do, um, which is what I've learned. Like the older I get, um, and so my body kept on attacking me essentially kind of just being like listen to me like you're not well but you're sick um and i haven't really said i don't think i've said this before on any podcast or at all but like the more and more i would get sick or things would happen to me like say for example i in 2009 my one of my best friends at the time um wanted to go roller skating for her birthday so we all went to roller skating but i fell over because i'm the clumsy one um not only did I fall over, I broke my wrist, and my the bone popped out of my, literally, literally popped out of my skin. It was horrible. Oh it was the worst thing. Um, and in that whole moment and everything, like the saddest part of all of it was being vulnerable. It wasn't the pain. It wasn't the fact that I had to take six weeks off work. I wasn't. I was. I was just scared of being like unable to do things for myself. Right. Because then it's like not only am I already some type of like warrior young person who's just working her way through life by herself. I now have broken my right wrist and I'm right-handed. Little things like I go to the bank and um, they'd ask me to sign something and I'd just start crying because I couldn't sign it. Like that's wow. that's not normal. Like I should have been like, I'm sorry I've broken my wrist, I can't do that. But like it was too much. Like I can't, I can't not have like full function of my body. Yeah. So my control was in being in charge and in control like yeah my power was being in control and i would do everything to stay in that power okay basically it makes sense yeah and then as i'm like i say i've not just broken my i've been through so many things physically like my body um has been through so much and and i think that with that they were consistent reminders that i needed to be vulnerable but i was literally being forced there Mm. into those spaces um and then i heard brene brown talk about her her ted talk the power of vulnerability it's amazing yeah isn't it? so i was just about to say if anyone hasn't heard that <laughs> i don't know what you're doing like you should totally <laughs> listen to that that made me cry mm. and it made me cry at a time where i wasn't crying in life like what is to what are tears i don't know what tears are wow um and it made me cry and that scared me because i like I knew she was tapping into something that I didn't understand. So there are so many times once again that my body's taken over and told me what I need and I just started to pay attention. Okay. Um so I think that the project came out of I say that actually. I, I, my body was forcing me to pay attention. That was one way it was happening, but the second way it was happening is that my job made me speak to people about their vulnerabilities. Okay, and what, what was that? So I was, I was head of pastoral at a school, which basically means that I'm in charge of well-being, mental health, like therapy referrals, coaching referrals, um, just anything to do with well-being of young people. And what that means is that when something's happening with a young person, they have to come and tell me what's going on, or they're encouraged to. Nine times out of 10, they would tell me, even if it took me a while to get it out of them. Um, and so I'm confronted with vulnerability every day. <laughs> like, it's happening every single day in my office. Someone's breaking down about something. The least likely person is breaking down about something. 
Um, I remember, I remember one time, it's so funny, um, the head teacher ran into my office and told me that one of the kids, one of the boys was crying and everyone was scared because he's a boy. Really? <laughs> like, let's be honest, he's a boy, he's tall, he's black, like no one knows what's going on. And I'm like, why is the head teacher? Like, so I'm concerned now, I'm thinking, oh my God, like what the hell has happened? Who's died? Like, there's so much like for raw, if that's the word, around this one person. So eventually he gets into my office, they eventually get him upstairs and he's sitting there and he's sobbing in front of me. And um, he eventually tells me that his girlfriend broke up with him or something. And I was just like, are you for real? <laughs> Is this, like, I cannot believe what has just happened. Like, like part of me is happy. I was happy that he was able to explore that with me and yeah. he was honouring his sadness. Like, that made me so happy, but at the same time, I was a bit angry that the teachers acted in... Because so, if that was a little... Yeah. If that was a girl, nobody would have really... They would have probably made her go to lesson. Like, can you just get it together go to lesson? But for whatever reason, with him, it was like, shut down what is going on with this person. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I was being confronted about it in two ways. My body was shutting down often... And I was being confronted by listening to other people's stories of vulnerability. And a lot of the times they coincided with my own experiences. So you, were you, you started to feel like if you were talking to somebody mm. and a specific area of vulnerability came up and it kind of like impacted, it made you feel something. Mm -hmm. Were you then exploring those feelings within yourself for the first time where yeah. you just shut them down before? Yeah, yeah. Um, that happened often. Um, I had a girl once tell me that she had just started therapy and um, had started to explore that she was emotionally underdeveloped. Wow. So I have, I'm telling you, like, I, sometimes when I say these things out loud, it's crazy, but she came into my office not to tell me that. She came in to tell me that she was dealing with a lot in therapy and didn't feel like she could contribute to lessons. And she didn't know how to tell her teachers that. And she wanted me to explain to the teachers that she's not being rude. She just is exploring what's coming up for her in her therapy sessions. Once again, I'm happy that she can say that to me because we need to encourage young people to understand their emotions and mm. work them through and communicate them in ways that protect themselves. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but then she told me that one of the things she was working through was the fact that her her relationship with her mum had left her un emotionally underdeveloped. Um, and that she didn't know how to feel about things. Right. Uh, she didn't know, like, say, for example, if everyone was laughing about something, that she understood humour and, like, what was funny. But, like, feeling the laughter throughout her body in the same way was just not happening. Wow. Or... Um, never really feeling deep sad. No, like, she didn't really feel... She understood emotion, but she didn't feel it in the way how other people were feeling it. Okay. And I was like, me too. <laughs> really? Like, oh, my God, how are you reading my entire life? Was that the first time that you had acknowledged that that's how you felt? Or really, someone had played it back to you, like, yeah. this is actually how I feel as well? Yeah, that was the first time that someone played it back to me. That was this year. Wow, let's be, was let's be honest. I was going to ask I, you when this was. Yeah, that was this year. Like, I... This, that was this year, 100%, like probably around March, April, that conversation took place. Um, but I remember feeling, so I remember, you know, like ages ago, when I was like 18, 
being at my ex-boyfriend's house and he had like all of his friends and they're we were watching some kind of comedy show or something and everyone's laughing and it was weird because I had an out of body moment like I understand the joke but I can't like throw my head back in the same way and laugh that you can I don't and I don't know why because it's like everyone's doing this thing this whole body movement and I can't do it and I'm trapped but I like that was so I knew when that, when that happened when I was 18, I was very aware that as much as I found it funny, I couldn't laugh in the same way. But then I had that conversation this year that was wow. like, so sometimes, sometimes it takes a while to get a less to understand yeah. what's going on, essentially. But you obviously started the, you obviously started the podcast before having that mm-hmm. realisation. So it's mm. interesting that you were so intrigued by your own vulnerability and vulnerability in general, but we're also so detached from it. Yeah, yeah, like that is clear. That's clear to, like it's very, it's been very clear to me. I wanna say, and people disagree with me, but I find it hard to, to articulate things like that, but it's very, very true. Like I am, I understand vulnerability and I am becoming more vulnerable because of the project, because I want to be. Essentially, like I wanna be that person that's just, whole like I understand my emotions and I can be in them and it's a safe place to be but I'm definitely um the project is definitely supporting me to get to that place so I'm not the vulnerability queen yes do you know what I mean and I think we have to really like be careful of social media personalities that are like unless you are Brené Brown and you have a PhD in understanding these emotions complex and nuanced emotions like, I, I'm not a follower of people because I know, like, as someone who has a platform, I am working this shit out day by day. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, like, I, I'm definitely still on that journey. And what does your day-to-day vulnerability look like now, if you, if you can answer that? Yeah. Um, so we were having a conversation before we kind of started recording about my work situation (laughs) which we won't go into because we're still in the story we need to work that out um but honoring so i'm i've been placed in some uncomfortable positions at work um and my run like embracing my vulnerability or kind of working through that on a day-to-day basis isn't before it would have been i'm angry about this and I'm gonna, uh, like, I'm gonna tell everybody that I'm angry, apart from the person that's making me angry. Right. And I'm, and I'm not gonna acknowledge how I got to this place of anger. I'm just gonna be angry because this person has pissed me off. And it's like that's the beginning and end of the story. Yeah. Like it just starts there. And and so now it's kind of like, okay, I've got to a place where someone has made me feel angry. Why do I feel angry? Is it warranted? Where has it come from? Because that anger started before that person. Yeah. Um, and so what I now understand is that um, I've had some, just to kind of be super, super clear, I've had some really hmm, combative um, conversations with my manager. And I know that the way how she communicates is irritating as shit. Can I swear? Yeah. People always say, can I swear? Oh my God, for my kosher care. <laughs> you just wanted to say that. Oh yeah, <laughs> can I swear? <laughs> Um, you say it's irritating as fuck the way how she communicates is so irritating but actually that's how my mum communicates really yeah and so part of me is like 
you're pissing me off so much right now. I'm so angry. But um, I, I feel like <laughs> I am Donna Lancaster's biggest champion because I literally bring her into every you single... Are. How do I find a way to get her into every episode? <laughs> I don't know. But Donna says, if it's hysterical, it's historical. Okay. What does that mean? It means if someone shows you behaviour that's hysterical and they're acting out and it just doesn't make sense... It's not about the now, it's a historical reason. So if it's okay. hysterical, it's historical. I say Donna says that. Donna said that someone else said that and she just said it to me. So it's like she said it basically. Yeah. Um, and so with my manager and the way how she communicates, I'm like, well, she's hysterical for a historical reason and I'm angry for a historical reason. None of us are talking to each other, essentially. Yeah. But my to honour my vulnerability and the reason... My honouring my vulnerability means standing up for myself because I, I couldn't have stood up to my mum right. at the time. That's really interesting. So I have to do it now. Mm. And so the differences between before and now is before I would have just been angry and spoke to everyone about it. Like my thing is I can curse. I will phone this person and curse about the situation. Yeah, yeah, I would yeah. tell everybody, including that person's mum, about how irritated I am. <laughs> but I won't tell the person. Because so nothing gets resolved nothing for, gets resolved. for either person. Yeah. And um, and now it's kind of like, yes, you're angry. Why are you angry? Um, do you need to... Is it because you've, you've done something wrong? You've contributed to that in a way where you either need to apologise or you need to, you know, take some... Um, let someone know how they're making you feel. Mm. Um, and I do that and I honour myself and my vulnerability in that because the truth of the, truth of the matter is that my mum did so many mean things mm. and she's, she communicates so manipulatively mm. that I get to that kind of like historic place of just like hysteria when I'm dealing with people like her. Because that's how you navigated mm-hmm. it at that time. Mm-hmm. And it's like unlearning all yeah. of that stuff the basically. Yeah. yeah. And do you feel like you can have some of those conversations with your mum now? I don't know. Truthfully, I don't know. I think um, mm, I think I think my mom is equally emotionally underdeveloped as I want I once was. Because mm. remember, she can't give me what she doesn't have. So I'm only I was only emotionally underdeveloped because she is. Yeah. Um. So with that mind, I'm like. I want to say these things to her because she needs to hear them. And then part of me is like, she doesn't have capacity to receive it. Yeah. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot that I need to do that is surrounding kind of just getting answers for myself. That like, or being happy with the answer I didn't get. That's the easiest way of saying it. Being comfortable and happy with the answers that I wasn't able to receive from her. Okay. And she's not dead, so I suppose I could receive them. But I just... I might be able to. I mean, I don't know. I haven't... I'm not at a place yet where I can ask her. Yeah. I don't think. Because I think I'm, I'm still at a place where if she responded not in the way how I wanted to... Maybe not. Maybe I need to give myself more credit. 
This is proper stream of consciousness, by the way. Go for it. <laughs> it's like proper stream of consciousness. Go for it. But maybe I'm, I need to give myself more credit because I know that she doesn't have capacity. So truthfully, if I did have conversations with her where I'm like, I'm angry because of this, this, this and this, I really don't expect her to give me any kind of concrete answer. And so um, if she didn't, I don't think I would get angry now because yeah. I don't expect it. Yeah. Um. And I wouldn't expect her to give me any more, like any great things. I would, I don't know. Do you feel like you need to have a conversation with her? Like it's something in in you that you need to do? Or do you feel like it's something that actually... I've tried to do it in the past. Right. I feel like I've tried to have conversations with her enough times to kind of put it down now. I've tried. Yeah. Um, And she's always received it in such a strange way. Right. That I'm like, hmm... Maybe the answer isn't with you. Maybe I just need to go elsewhere. Yeah. For example, instead of speaking to her, she raised me, essentially. My dad wasn't there. Mm. Um, so having a conversation with him is, is more impactful than having one with her. And it's like, I wouldn't even think I needed to speak to you because he wasn't there. So it's, it's really easy to be like, oh, well, he didn't have any impact because he wasn't there. But actually, the lack of being there is impact in itself. Definitely. Um, and so having conversations with him, I've had more resolved than, um, than having a conversation with her. Okay. Yeah. So maybe I think I was looking in the wrong space. Yeah. So I was trying to be in the wrong space. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you've, you've, you've always had a relationship of sorts with your dad, right? But mm. he, he's never lived in, in the, the UK, country, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so, like, I know that you went over to New York in the summer and, like, spent yeah. some time with him. So how, how was that? And, like, how yeah. was that on your journey into kind of, like, becoming more vulnerable and, like, tapping into yourself a bit more? That was something that I, at the beginning of this year, I sat down and I was like, I need to, I need to spend time with my dad um, because I never had done that. And it's like, I can't cancel something out, especially when it's, like, a family, like a mum and dad thing because it's, like, direct. Um, lineage essentially like you can't cancel that out yeah. I need to work I need to I can't grow without going like I can't basically get any higher or better in my life without going through this way um, so I made the decision to go to America to spend some time with him um, and then I did it <laughs> and it was weird it's weird because I've never been I've been to his house but I've never stayed at his house for like two weeks Okay. In my entire life. And because I'm one of those extreme people, I booked the time around my birthday. So I was like, I'm not only going to come to America and stay with you, I'm going to be there on my birthday. So like no pressure. Yes, no pressure <laughs> at all. Like I'm going to do On that. either side. It'll yeah, be yeah. totally relaxed. Yeah, yeah. And it really was then because my dad's like very nervous. Like he's a nervous person. Okay. Um, For good reason, I suppose. It's like, imagine not raising your daughter. Yeah. And then meeting her and she's some type of powerhouse that you don't really know what to do with. Yeah. And it's like, and I'm, I'm cognizant of that. I'm just like, I haven't had a dad. I'm not really sure how to do this father-daughter thing because I've just been doing my own shit for like my entire life. Yeah. And it's like, you clearly are my father and you want to be my, and you want to have that relationship. But it's, it's, I say that for my dad. It's hard for a man that I'm dating to work out how to be with me. And, I, and I'm trying to find a balance because I'm so used to just being about myself and really self-sufficient. Anyways, um, so it was, it was awkward because 
I hadn't been around him ever. Um, so I don't know how what else to say about that, but it was definitely awkward, and um, it was beautiful because I was able to be a little girl. Right. So it was awkward, but there were times like, say for example, on my actual birthday, yeah. um, I recorded a podcast because my friend was only free on that day, and I was like, yeah, I'm coming to your house. I recorded a podcast, and my dad works um, as a paramedic, so he's basically out from like five in the morning. So I didn't see him. And then when I got home, there were balloons everywhere. Right? So I'm like, who are they for? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, no one's ever bought me balloons for my birthday. And I'm 32. Like, do you see what I'm saying? So I've seen these balloons and my dad's wife was like, that weren't me, girl. That was your dad. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God. Like, that is for me. And then I had this moment. I had a moment when I, I felt like a, a five years old yeah but it was nice it yeah. wasn't like i was like oh my god i'm a girl like i'm a little girl that made me really emotional um could you connect with him over that like were you did you feel like you could show him that you were emotional and mm, see i'm still working through that whole vulnerability but, <laughs> yeah to be completely honest i'm still working through that um he wasn't in the he wasn't there at the time so when i got home from the podcast he had put the balloons in the house and then gone to the restaurant to reserve the table. So the only people that were in the house were me, my brother, and my dad's wife, right? So you were quite glad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I would have had to go, oh my God. I would have had to, it would have been fine, but it would have been more awkward because I don't know how to do that. And also he doesn't know how to receive that because we've never done it. Yeah. So it's weird, right? I just feel like I have this weird life that I'm always having to navigate. It's so strange. Um. So then we got to the restaurant and... And he was there, he had reserved the table, and he was like, oh my god, you look so beautiful, and then that made me, like, awkward and feel weird inside as well, like, emotional, because I've never had a man tell me that I look beautiful in a non-sexual way. Right. So it's a different tone, like, it's a different, like, my ears are not used to it. Um, so the, all of those steps were healing for me. Yeah. And so this is, so hopefully that illustrates what I mean about, I needed to speak to, I needed to be with him instead of trying to badger my mum for yeah. answers. And we, we've had many conversations about things, but actually him just doing those things and outside of other things as well that he did. Like, for example, another thing we did was just go out for a family meal. That's the alien to me, right? I'm sitting with my brother, my dad and his wife. He's lovely. And at the end, my dad pays. These are all alien experiences to me. Like, oh my God, like, I feel... I can't, it's weird, like, I need to pay, like, it's just, like, I have this And is thing. that another thing about being vulnerable? Because it's, it's just like, so hard. what, I, I need to pay for myself because that's what I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And, yeah, if I don't pay for myself, then I'm taking the piss. Like, people are going to think that I'm taking the piss. Or, like, when I went, say that, outside of the meal thing, I went um, to the food shopping centre with my dad's wife. And I have dietary requirements, and Amer like Americans eat everything, we know this, they just buy everything. So I'm like, I really can't be eating it, I need to buy what I need. And then I was aware that I probably spent about $30, so I tried to give her the money, and she looks at me like I'm insane, like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm staying in your house for free, let me pay for my food. And I suppose her, her downloading information is, you're my husband's daughter, 
it's okay. Yeah. Your family. You're not staying in my house for free. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so there's two different realities that are happening at the same time. And I'm always, always, always having to um, honour those moments by, like, not running from them. Yeah. And I think that's what I used to do before. So I'd have that, I'd feel that weird shift in my body when something's awkward or I just feel weird. And then I'd run from it. And then it chases you and it makes you cry and it hurt and you break your arm. <laughs> or, I don't know, you get pityriasis rosea or, like, I've had everything pityriasis. I've had um, shingles. I've just done... I'm, my body has literally been under attack for, like, 10 years. Because it's just moved yeah. to your body. Because it's been internalised, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So this knee issue that I've got now. had a foot issue in the summer. Like, I'm always in pain. So, um yeah that's just my next step of things now is working through the body like i need to work through my body i need to know how to release through my body because Mm. it's it's pent up in there now and it also like it sounds like you're trying to work through allowing yourself to be loved Mm. by obviously by yourself but then obviously by others that and your family and like to be cared for Mm -hmm. because like that situation with your dad and like his wife for Mm -hmm. example they obviously love you and it's Mm -hmm. like they want to embrace you and just mm-hmm. be there for you and do these things. But it's like, at the moment, it, there's still an awkwardness around that. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely an awkwardness around it, for real. So it's like letting go of... Yeah. Which is really hard, isn't it? Yeah. It's so hard because, because yeah, I'm just not used to it. Mm. Like, it, it, I can't say it in any other way. I'm so not used to it. It's like, I'm, I left my mum's house when I was 16 and I've been by myself ever since. And I have lived with family members who have made me feel not very great. And so it's kind of like, that's just my programming. And mm. um, I know they say things like, oh, it takes 21 days to create a habit. But it's like, how do you learn how to receive love in 21 days? <laughs> I think that's an impossible task, isn't it? <laughs> how do you do that? How do you learn how to be Where's loved? the manual? Be worthy of love. Do all of this in 21 days. Like, like I feel like you need more people to help you do that. It's like an inside-outside job. Definitely. Um, and like, how often do you find yourself in positions where, like, I mean, I could just throw everything away and go to America and sleep on my dad's sofa in like a like, let me receive love experiment for 30 days and then hopefully come back as a whole new person. <laughs> but like, that's not gonna happen, I don't think. So yeah, um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard. Yeah. I remember having um, a conversation with my parents when I was like in my late 20s mm-hmm. and there was just, nothing bad like nothing terrible had really happened in our relationship but it was just like Mm -hmm. we were I think we'd spent probably 10 years just being completely off key Mm -hmm. from each other and I'd ignored it we'd all ignored it really Mm -hmm. and then when I got to my late 20s I was like I think we just need to acknowledge that this happened Mm -hmm. and kind of get to know each other in an open and honest way because Mm -hmm. not having had discussed it at all it made me feel like we didn't have like an authentic relationship. Yeah, because of something that hasn't been... Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, and it's like... But we were able to do that, and we're still working on that now, and we're still getting to know each other in mm-hmm. a different way because those things were so ingrained in the way mm-hmm. that we like interacted with each other and stuff. But it obviously, you can't do that with every single person, can mm-hmm. you? They have to be open yeah. to that to conversation, yeah. and they have to be able to do the work on themselves as well yeah you can't do the work for people 
And so, like, I guess with your mum, it's like maybe she's just not. Yeah. There. She's just not there, and I don't even have to. I'm just like, yeah. you're just not there. Like, like if anything, watching her be in such denial and just work her life in the way how she is, it's like the perfect example of what not to do. Yeah. And so I think when it comes to my passion about personal development and like like I'm so commi- committed to this journey of being staying in my vulnerability like personal development like working through my body releasing my trauma like I have to because if I don't I'll end up like that right and there might be some therapist might be listening to this being like girl that ain't it I don't know <laughs> I'll get there and I'll work it out but I just it's like I know that I've heard that whole thing about kind of like running away from what you're actually going to become, but I really want to just like be a better person mm. um, in the way how I relate to myself and the way how I relate to other people. Yeah. Because that whole disconnect from yourself is scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's so scary. Um, yeah. And have you, like, how have you experienced life now you've started to connect with yourself more? Um, hmm. I feel like I have I feel like I have more compassion for myself and other people because now I've connected with myself it's like when I feel emotional, sad, um, vulnerable or any of those things, it's like okay, honoring those feelings. So I feel one of those feelings. Why do I feel that? And then we go back to kind of like, well, Michelle, you didn't receive acceptance as a child, or you didn't receive this, and you didn't receive any of these things. Um, I have a book about this called The Five A's. Another Donna Lancaster download. <laughs> such a weird We'll provide the link at the end. Yeah, we'll definitely provide the link. <laughs> so acceptance. Um, when you're being raised as a, when you're a baby, so right now, I'm sure the listeners know that you're pregnant. Do they know this? They will know. Okay, now they'll know that you're pregnant. Your baby inside of you sees you as like it's like lover essentially. Like there's nothing that your baby needs that you do not give it. If that makes sense. So when I say lover, I don't mean like in a sexual way, but like you are love. You are love essentially. So as soon as it's hungry, it's fed. Um, it's warm, it's going to sleep when it wants, it's moving around, you're not making, you're not doing anything to stop that baby from growing and just living its best life, yeah? When it comes out, it's going to expect the same amount of attention, affection, like allowance. What I mean by allowance is kind of like you're allowed to just be who you are. Yeah. So when the baby's moving around and kicking, like you're not screaming at saying, stop! And just like restraining its arms, it's like moving. And yeah. it's fine. Um, allowance, acceptance, appreciation, and affection. And there's one more that I've forgotten that I'll put down. So yeah, your baby gets all of those things inside of you. As babies, we get all of those things inside of our parents. Um, and Or our mum, sorry. And then we come out, and it's either reinforced, or for whatever reason, because humans are human, they're just not like people just like don't uh, or do not have capacity to give their babies what they need and then your baby they say you know do what i do do what i say not what i do that's just 
can we just not say that to our kid? Can we? Can you never say that to your child? Cause I like, promise. Your child <laughs> is going to do what you do. Yeah. And, and they're just going because it's like they're in the first seven years they're like receiving so much information from you, and they're receiving. Apart from your words, they're watching your actions. Every, like, like and their brains are like, we know all of this already. They're like sponges and they're taking everything in. So if you're not showing them affection, outside of not showing them affection because you don't have it, you're not showing yourself affection. They're learning that. Yeah. They're learning that to show themselves affection is a bad thing. Mm. Um, and all, the, all of the other A's that we'll link in the show notes as well. And so... To answer your question, when I'm in a space where I'm feeling any of my vulnerabilities, sadness, pain, emotional, I I think I stop in that moment and then think about when or how did I get to a place where this is what I think about. Like I say with um with my dad's wife in mm. the food shopping and I'm trying to give her the money and I feel so bad that I'm about to eat for free. Like that's a weird thing. But actually I was made to feel like I've been a burden my entire life. Mm. So so that emotion is valid because at 32 years old, or I was 31 at the time, 32, 31, I feel bad for my dad's wife paying for my food in the supermarket. But there are so many moments that have led up to that. So I have to honour those moments, honour the current feeling, and then be like, okay, so how can I change that? Yeah. Um, what can I do to like unlearn that and put myself in a situation where... I'm not, because it's like, at this stage, I'm not ever going to take the piss. Like, I'm never going to be that person that's going to be someone who's freeloading up. That's never going yeah. to be me. So, like, that's the extreme. Yeah. But how do I become comfortable in the, like, middle bit where I'm allowing myself to be loved and appreciated and shown affection and allowed to be, like, how am I allowing myself to be all of those things? Um, yeah. Basically, I feel like I forgot the end of that sentence. <laughs> but like, how am I allowing myself to be those things without like punching myself yeah, yeah, throughout yeah. the process? Yeah. And I think before it was like that's what I would do: beat myself up because I okay. I felt those things and I just felt like shit and I didn't have any more tools. Yeah, you were just like, I don't want to feel these things. Like, yeah. I'm an idiot for feeling these things. Yeah, you punch yourself. Done. Exactly done. Story book closed. Let's keep it moving. And then it's hard. It's hard to be an adult with that mentality because you become angry definitely and i've met extension of my experiences i have had so many mirrors in men really so many like relationship like yeah, yeah romantic relationships yeah yeah. yeah yeah romantic relationships with men have been mirrors i've dated so many men that are angry beautiful human beings because especially i essentially i am a nice person mm. so I, I attract these nice people that are so angry. Really? So angry. And they're like, not angry to me. Well, they are sometimes. But like, I'd say 80% angry at themselves, angry at life, angry at just stuff. And you're like, why is this so insane to you? Like, why is it so intense for you? Mm. Um, that's their own programming and their own stuff that they need to kind of get through. But I've, I can see it in other people now. I can right. see it when people are like, not allowing themselves to be vulnerable by um by honoring their story it's like you're allowed to be angry i think angry anger is a healthy emotion if it's like dealt with in the right way you're allowed to be angry but you need to work out you need to address why you're angry yeah um and kind of honor that mm. 
and then be healthy. But cause it's like, like I say, historical. It's historical. Yeah. We're angry for reasons that are not happening in the now. Yeah, exactly. That's basically yeah. just it. And do you like, maybe this is harsh, but I feel like sometimes there's not that many people are prepared to do the work. Yeah. And hard. why? Is it because it's just too tough? Or yeah, like, I think so. I don't know. This is a good question. I am so sick of dating now. I'm so sick of dating. I'm on Tinder at the moment. And it's a mess. Like, I get matches. And then I speak to guys. And I'm like, oh my god. This is, in, like, you are not even attempting to have the types of conversations with yourself that you need to. And I have and such these are a, grown men. I have such a radar for it. Yeah, like the guys that I'm like on Tinder, I'm Tindering are like 32 to 37. Yeah. So I'm like making sure that I'm picking that age group because you want people that have started to have this, but they just haven't. Um, and it's really, really hard because when, you, when you're doing the work on yourself, like, I don't know, this is really hard. Because the book I'm reading at the moment is kind of like disagreeing with what I'm about to say. But when I find, like, when I'm doing this level of work at the, myself, or maybe where I'm at in the work at the moment, it's like I want the person to be doing similar work yeah. on themselves. Yeah. And, and I say it in that tone, because the book I'm reading at the moment, it's like once you kind of get to a space where your whole, your partner needs, doesn't need to give you anything, and they should just be able to do what they're doing, and you do what you're doing. And, like, you could be working in, like, you could be doing the most amount of personal development and spiritual development for yourself. But if that person's whole in their own way and you're holding your way, then essentially you should be able to coincide. And I'm like, okay, book, fine. I don't, I'm not there yet. So I don't know how true that is because I've not experienced it. But what I have experienced is attracting men who are angry. Um, and before I used to get like mad at it and ignorant about it, like and argue with them and get into like anger meets anger and we're just arguing about things. And my, and I never like, They've never been, like, petty arguments with me. And because of the way how I am when it comes to, like, my work rate and my... It's always, like, I'm really, really busy or really, really ambitious. You don't understand because da 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 And it's that type of argument. It's not, like, F-U type thing. It's, like, like arguments around why are you not doing personal development in the way how you should. Maybe if you honoured your soul. (laughs) It's, like, proper shitty things, like... I don't know. I don't want to be in that situation again. But, um, yeah, the men I've dated definitely have been reflections of myself. And now I'm like, if I see something I don't like, I know that's more work for me to do. Mm. So I'm like, okay, cool, thank you, as Ariana Grande says. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> um, I haven't even heard that song, but I've heard that phrase everywhere. <laughs> I haven't even listened to the song, but that's everywhere. Um, and be like, yeah, cool. Well, I need to work on that aspect of me because if you're in my life right mm. now, there's a, I need to work on that thing. Yeah. I'm yet to get to a person where I'm like, you're not perfect, but it's fine. <laughs> that is um, a really hard thing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's interesting what you were saying about that book in terms mm. of like, you both should be able to just live your own lives mm-hmm. and be content with that. That's like the optimum thing mm-hmm. that you can strive for. And like, I'm with you it makes sense to me mm. and I've been thinking a lot actually recently about this like love without ownership yeah. you know because it's mm. kind of it's that thing isn't it it's yeah. like I with Ollie for example there have been massive periods and phases where I've been like 
why don't you just do it like me? <laughs> do you know what and I mean? And how long have you been together again? Seven years. Okay. And it's never worked. Like, obviously, that approach never works for mm. either of us because he's not me. How does he respond to that when you say that, though? Um, I don't say it. Explicitly in that way. I wouldn't how... say it, but it's like, mm-hmm. for example, in a similar situation to you, like, I felt like I was doing a lot of work internally mm. and moving to a different space in my life. Yeah. I didn't feel like he was. And, you and that was you frustrating. Him to be a retreat. I remember you, when yeah. the first thing you said yeah. to me, I was like, I want him to do it. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> maybe <laughs> he needs to decide. Yeah, what he just needs to go by himself if he wants to work. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But, you know, now, I think there's, maybe there's always phases in relationships where you're not disconnected but you're on different pages Mm -hmm. but it's then reconnecting and understanding each other again Mm -hmm. and being like okay you're doing this and I'm doing this and they're both all right but we need to communicate about that and understand where we're both coming from yeah I agree I hear that and I'm I'm thinking like in spite of you learning in different ways and at different places that your love and respect for each other should always be the bottom yeah. of everything. It's kind of like, I love and respect where you are, so let's just do that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's hard. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not a person, I've not had long-term relationships, so I'm not the person to give advice, but hearing what you say, kind of, it's, I can see how it's hard to not want people to, no, to want someone to do, be doing what you're doing. It's like, yeah. okay, so I just read this book, so you should read it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I don't know, but you know, it's like anything, like the human instinct is that we surround ourselves with people that are like us and Mm. people that have like similar interests and stuff. And I guess with your partner, it's like, that's the most intense extension Mm. of you. Mm -hmm. So like, for me, I always want him to completely understand Mm. where I'm at and what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. And it's like, he can't. Mm -hmm. Like, I can explain, but there's going to be certain situations and moments yeah. where he just can't. Yeah. And, like, I have to just be okay with that. Yeah. At points. like It's fine. Yeah. I think there's one thing I've realised, I haven't said what the book is called, I've just been calling it the book. It's called How to Be an Adult in Relationships. Mm. I've got it downstairs. All right, cool. Um, and the second thing is, I want to say it's a Louise Hay quote, but it could also be a Marissa Peer quote. Um, and basically she just it's not a quote I'm going to just kind of paraphrase what she was saying but they say you know the longest relationship you will ever work on is with yourself you've all heard this before so it's kind of like even with death to death do us part someone dies first yeah and it's like and then you're left with you yeah and so actually working on yourself and finding maybe that common ground of love and respect and all of those kind of like ground rules, relationship things are important. But like, imagine you're with someone and that person kind of gets deep into, I don't know, veganism and then makes you a vegan and then they die and then you're just like, I wanna like stay on this vegan thing but it's really, really hard and then you eat meat and then you get really guilty and then like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of like, who are you the yeah. whole time? Yeah. And that's more important. Definitely. So I don't yeah. know, I'm working on my like relationship stuff as a single person. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's, the, I that's, think that's the is, it is it the out. most important relationship, isn't it? And yeah. it is the hardest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. For sure, yeah. the hardest. Because it's like, 
we when we start working on ourselves like we unpick all of this stuff that isn't that great Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then it's like acknowledging Mm -hmm. all of that as well and like Mm -hmm. you know how you were saying before that in the past you would have just blocked things out Mm -hmm. and it's like you can kind of tell yourself this lie which obviously in the long run is really unproductive but Mm -hmm. for short term sometimes you just think easier it's like, so I'm, easy I'm this and like also you can create in like an almost an illusion of what you're like mm. as a person mm-hmm. and then you have to break all of that down again yeah and that's hard because it's like I don't know if you just haven't got capacity to deal with who you really are yeah because it's really hard if you're a really shitty person <laughs> yeah. you've got to, you've got to know that you've got to deal with that yeah and that's horrible and there are bits of us that are shitty yeah. all of us <laughs> it's so true <laughs> Um, yeah, so I don't know. It's hard to do, and not everyone has capacity. And maybe that's one thing you say that you know, you said um, we tend to attract people that are mm. like us. I think everyone around me has capacity to do the work. That's one thing that I can say. That's cool. 100%. I'm so grateful for that. Mm. Everyone around me, like you've been to like a few of our like gatherings, yeah. and everyone's like proper. Like, and they're not necessarily my close friends, but my close friends and my wider circle have that capacity. Yeah. And I find, like, to me, that's so important because I need consistent, like, modeling in front of me. Like, yeah. I need to see what that looks like for other people to know where I'm at myself. Um, and so, yeah, it is important to me that, as much as what we've just said is true, it is important to me that whoever I'm with has capacity. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, whether they're doing it or not, they just has capacity yeah. because you know when there's a complete shutdown. Like, you know when someone's just completely shut down. And this is going on a different direction, a little bit of a segue, but I listened to one of um, Oprah's Super Soul Sunday podcasts, and she interviewed a medium guy, and he was speaking about soul ages. Okay. And he basically was saying that every time we come to Earth, if you believe in reincarnation, that we come with an age on our soul. Um, and they're like one to ten kind mm. of thing um, one being the baby obviously and ten being like your soul has basically matured through earth incarnations many times and you're ready to go and that's like a different way of me looking at it like sometimes I'm like maybe they have a maybe someone's unable to deal with this in the way that I think would be best for them because they have a, a younger soul age and it's just not their journey to do it in this lifetime that like I've said goodbye to ex-partners this is going to sound so weary weary it's going to sound so weary like university university michelle um i've said goodbye to ex-partners knowing that i will meet them again because our souls aren't aligned in this time and it's annoying as hell because i really wanted you to be that person but you're not there yet and I don't know how many times we're going to have to do this. I just know we're going to... This is, It's cool. I'll see you in 300 years. <laughs> like, in my mind, that's how it is. But it's like... I think that's... The, me hearing that podcast made me understand that not everybody has the same age as you. Yeah. Um, Soul-wise. And I say that to say that, you know, it could be... you. Your child could be older than you. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. And when they come out, like... And this is another thing about like um parenthood i'm not a parent but i i do feel like it's so important to listen to your children yeah and allow them to teach you yeah and learn from them yeah because they're not 
they're babies, but they're souls. I agree, yeah. Like, they're actual souls that are coming with more knowledge. When babies come out, they have more knowledge about life than you do. Because mm. they haven't forgotten anything. Mm. They know how to be loved. Someone said, my friend said this, my friend said, um, when you see a baby, like, and they've just, like, pooed their pants and they've got, like, chocolate all over their bib and then you come home... They will run to you and expect you to hug them. Yeah. Because why wouldn't you? Yeah. I'm love. Yeah. I've got shit in my pants. I'm disgusting. But you're going to hug me because I'm everything. Why yeah. would you not? Yeah. I would never do that to anyone. I wouldn't. I'd be like, oh my God, you can't. Like, can you not? Because it's like, you're not worthy of that. And, and we start to feel all this shame. And shame. Like all this learned stuff. All this baggage. Yeah. We put on ourselves, yeah, as we grow, but we grow, we actually don't grow, we sort of like go back, yeah, yeah, but we're regretting, and then we have to unlearn it all again, yeah. It's hard, like, life is so hard, yeah, (laughs) yeah, life is so hard. But, like, what the other thing that I was interested in was so you wanted to start Vulnerable Podcast, which is obviously now the Vulnerable Project, and this was to kind of tune into your own vulnerability Mm -hmm. and like help you on your own like healing journey. Mm -hmm. So, were there did you choose your guests in a way, and maybe this was subconscious, but like, did you choose them because there were parts of, they were talking about things that you've resonated with mm-hmm. and that you wanted to try and explore and unpick 100%. yourself? Did you consciously do that, do you think? I, I think a bit of both, consciously yeah. and subconsciously. And I only realised that I was doing that when people started asking me questions like, Selena said to me, Selena being from Project Love was like, why haven't you done a project, um, an episode on like, heartbreak? And then at that moment I was like, oh yeah, that's a good topic. But then I was like, well, I haven't really, like I don't connect with that. Like I've been heartbroken, but also emotionally shut down at the same time. So I noticed that I was doing that in that conversation. Um, and that I was kind of like, using my own experiences to inform episodes. Yeah. Um, and so, like, the more I think about the project and what I want it to become, I'm, I'm trying to use, like, what could I talk about that I have no clue about? Okay. And what could I talk about that I know about? Yeah. But, yeah, 100%, I use my experiences to choose people. And I think it's a bit of both. I think there was definitely the um, Rachel Mad- Maddox. Yeah. The sex after trauma. Like, I was like, you, I need this conversation that was amazing that episode so interesting so many people have said that they can't they're not really able to listen to it and they're like it's there at the back of their minds like waiting and and i find that interesting in itself like i'm never going to be like oh you should listen to it because it's like when you're ready you will get there um but yeah that i definitely needed to get that episode out there because that was personal yeah um and i feel like you shared you started to share some of your own trauma right in that episode. Yeah. I feel like that was the first time that you'd said it. Is that mm. right? Or, I like, feel like you're that right. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because that... Probably, right, yeah. Because after that, I did it on Selena's yeah. episode. But actually, I think that was the first time when I started to... So it's interesting because even though I'm talking about vulnerability, other people are talking. Yeah. And I'm just, like, listening and they like, chiming in on them every now and then. But the real things... I mean, I think there is... I think 2019 for me is definitely going to be a lot more sharing... And I'm just trying to work out how I do that. Yeah. I don't know how to... I don't know... I know how to interview. I don't yeah. know how to just talk to the mic by myself. That's the next step. That's like... I don't know. I don't know if it's the next step. I'm trying to work it out. Yeah. I'm not sure what that looks like for me. But I know that 
there's, I have a, a huge story to tell. Yeah. Um, and just kind of working out how to tell it, I suppose, is the next step. And how did it feel to go from a place where you couldn't even be vulnerable to yourself mm. to having a platform <laughs> where you had shared, like, your most vulnerable story? I don't think I've thought about that yet, okay. to be fair. You're like, maybe just don't ask me that <laughs> question. <laughs> no, it's not don't ask me, but I haven't thought about it. Like, you're right, I'm a, I'm a person who hasn't thought about, like, I didn't think about everything that I had been through until, like, two years ago where I started to, like, as the young people would say, I started to deep it. <laughs> That's what they say. Okay. And cool. I'm like, it's sometimes their language is in my head before, like, English. It's so weird. <laughs> Um, I started to think about it and I was like, oh my God, I've been through some stuff. Um, and then the platform allowed me to speak about it more. Um, but I I don't think I've really thought about what it's been like. I think it's happened so slowly. Yeah. So actually, I first, first spoke about... Mm, it, I, it, I, it came out ten over 12 years ago now. So, so I was sexually abused as a kid. And said nothing until two or three years after it had happened, but not by force. Like I, I didn't say it out because I wanted to. It kind of came out of me, um, in in a like. <laughs> every time I say this, it just sounds so crazy. But basically, I ended up in a coma, and in the coma, I I said everything. So I didn't actually volunteer the information. It just came out. Yeah. Um, which is another example of my body attacking me and being like... And taking over, Taking actually. over, yeah. and being like, you can't hold on to this. It's almost, you know, actually, it's almost, it's very compassionate that my body wants me to live, and my body knows that I yeah. can't live with this inside of me. And so it's been trying to get out many different ways for, for my entire life. It's been trying to leave my body. Oh, it's so interesting. I'm, I'm about to do loads of body work this year. And as I'm talking to you, I'm like, I have to do this work. And I don't know who I'm going to be at the end of the 12 months. But anyways, so so that's the first time I was made to speak about it. My body made me by shutting my brain off. And I don't remember saying what I said, but I basically said everything. And then, um, so in that moment when I kind of had to face what I had said, so my dad was like, you said this. And I was like, did I? So you didn't have any memory No clue, no, because in the coma, like, like, I don't know. Like, so before you get into, like, the comatose, you're not speaking, you're just on the machines, your brain shuts down in bits, I think. Well, mine did anyway. So I had, like, probably 48 hours where I was not aware of anything. So there's some part of your brain that's... That's alive, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, but yeah, the rest yeah. of it's shutting down. God, that's so interesting. And I have no... And I can only tell this story as a result of people telling me what happened. So it's like, everybody knows, and people are telling me this is how they know. That must have been <laughs> so... It's weird. It's just so weird. That must have been such... A, like, shock isn't even a strong it's enough a, word. An actual trick. But, like... like so you just came, you you were conscious after this coma, and then everyone was like, you've said... Well, not everyone. My dad was like, are you okay? Are you good now? Because I'm, like, in the bed, like, awake and eating and stuff. He's like, okay. So you seem... I think he waited, like, two days and was like, oh, so you seem to be fine, so I've got to have... We need to talk. Yeah. And uh, so this is kind of what you said to me. And I'm looking at him like, no, I, like, there's no way I said all of that stuff. And he was like, this is what you said. We need to talk about it. Um... 
I, I don't remember saying anything. I just remember being shocked. Like, the look that you have on your face is probably the look that I had on my face at the time. So that was the first time I was made to speak about it. Um, and then throughout the years, I've had, like, panic attacks where I've had to kind of say, this is what's happened to me. Like, um, like I had a depressive episode, like, after all of the COVID stuff. I was living by myself. My life was just shit, basically. But shit because... Shit for loads of reasons, just like like loads of reasons. Like I had no money, I was yeah. living by myself. I think I want to say this is when I had broken my arm, but it probably wasn't because it was shit for so long. So the coma happened in two thousand and six. I broke my arm in two thousand and nine. So you have to look at the times. Like I'm always just something happened to me every year or every other year. Something major is taking place, right? Um, and I had a moment. And I, all I can remember in terms of time reference was that it was when everyone had a BlackBerry. Oh, God, so yeah. <laughs> so it was a while Back in the day. It was a while ago. Because <laughs> on the BlackBerry, I changed my status and I put something really depressive and I was like, that's it, I'm done, I want a new life or something crazy. Um, and I've never, ever been suicidal. I, I want to say I've been suicidal in the sense of I've not wanted to live, mm-hmm. but I've never, ever wanted to take... I've never, I've never would have had the courage to take my life. Yeah. So... I am the kind of person that would just pray and ask God to do it instead. Like, can you just take, can you just get out? I can't do this anymore, it's too much. Um, and then someone messaged me and asked me if I was okay. Or did she call me? She either called me or messaged me and asked me if I was okay. And then I just told her everything. I just told her everything mm. about all the abuse and everything. And then she was like, this is what you need to do. So that was the first time that you'd consciously... Yeah. Shared. Yeah. What I happened. can't do this anymore. Like I'm in such a lot. Yeah, I'm crying. Yeah, yeah. I'm at home by myself. I'm like it's just too much. And I was like, twenty two, something God, so young. Yeah. And so then she was like, you need to um, phone the police. You need to do this. You need to do that. Did you do that? I did all of it. I did phone the police, um, which is, I don't know. It apart. The system is interesting in the way I, the way uh, maybe when it happened to me, it wasn't. It's the system wasn't as rigorous as it is now when it comes to me too and all of that type of thing, because social services were trash the whole time, and it's really really hard. But basically, when I went to the police, and I'm not saying this to put anyone off, reporting every and if you've been through anything, report it 100 percent even if it's historical. But when I spoke about my stuff, because it had been a historical case, they couldn't do anything about it, I had no proof. So it was like, that's it, sorry. We've kind of we've arrested him, we've asked him questions, he denied everything. Oh my God. So like, sorry. But like to me, I felt like I, um, I was just happy that I said something. That's good. Like I had that, like, well I said something. And, and, and also just knowing that, um, that like the how this man was so disgusting that no like earthly judicial system how you say judicial system judicial yeah can actually give him what he deserves i feel like that's an afterlife thing like god will deal with you like or however the universe i just there's no way he can be living a fruitful happy life like something like it's out of my control what will happen to this man and so maybe prison was too nice for him <laughs> do you know what I mean I don't know but anyways that didn't happen um, so yeah so that was another 
way of me kind of opening up like three or four years later and so I've had these little moments where I've been encouraged to open up but mm. I've never ever done it like in the way that I'm doing it now obviously yeah 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 um so I and it's still hard like it's yeah. still still hard to talk about it but do you feel like it's something now that you want need to do more I am aware of being addicted to my story I'm so aware of that. I don't want to be that person who was like, I was sexually abused as a kid. Da, 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 da. Like, I don't want to lead with that at all. Yeah. Um, because I see how some people go through things. I watch it. Some people go through some really bad things. Sometimes not even that bad. Mm. Sometimes the stuff is like, really? is, And you're not able to live your life as a result of, okay, cool. Like, your dog died when you were 12 and... Like and you just never recovered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some people have not some really deep stuff, and some people have not so deep stuff. But um, a correlation I've seen with some people, not all, is that that becomes the way how they live their lives. Their identity. Yeah, their identity is their is their 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 trauma and their loss. Yeah, their losses. Instead of using it to create, like yeah. you don't, you can use a negative thing to create something beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like it becomes. The negative becomes them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And it, and, it, and then it infiltrates everything yeah. that you want in your life, your family life. It's, you know, you're reminding your husband about some stuff and your kids never get to live their best life because you're reminding them of when you didn't have yeah. something. And I'm like, no, that's like, I don't want to be that person. And also, like, women that I really look up to and people that have been through things that, that I really look up to um, when it comes to this wellness field and you know teachers and healers they don't talk about it like i was on a retreat do you know do you follow mariam hasna no she's um an instagrammer but she's she writes quotes she's an energy healer okay really cool lady and i did a retreat with her on saturday and yeah her tweets are amazing i'll send you her profile cool and at the very very end of the whole day she was just like she just meant she just basically said if it wasn't for my trauma I wouldn't be here and I just thought that's so true for probably many people in this room but she never once referenced her trauma in the whole day the whole day wasn't about it wasn't about her and what she'd been through and why she's here it was like let's do the work yeah and I think that's more powerful because it's kind of like I don't I don't want ever um I'm really protective of my future children I don't want them to I will tell them but I never want them to know, like, this is the life that I've had. Like, I don't want them to come out of me and, like, know that I'm damaged or I have been damaged or whatever or broken in some kind of way. Like, I want to be as whole as I can be. And then when they're of age and I'm like, okay, so some shit happened. You need to know because this is part of your ancestry and this is the work that's been done around it or whatever. Um... Then they'll be like, oh my god, like I never want them to know that. Yeah. Where I think when you're when you're a child and you're aware that your mum and dad or dad um isn't whole and they're un- they're incapable of loving you fully because of their own stuff, it just makes your childhood like less fun. <laughs> I say less fun. I say less fun because some kids I don't 
know, I say all of these things and, and just I want people to like understand that everything that I say is like I'm learning through it and I also feel like there's I see I see something but then I also see every story around it. Mm. So I say it's not fun for that child, but then some children are born to guide their parents to mm. better lives and they've come as teachers and and the soul knows why the soul is here at the end of the day. I just want to make sure that I'm in a place that my children don't have to pick up the emotional burden of me. Yeah. That's what I want to do. Yeah. And I have control over that. Yeah. My control over that is doing the work before yeah. I have children. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> and I've heard you talk like a few times about, you know, you're, when you feel like you're ready to have kids and stuff like that. And mm. I feel like that's something that you've thought a lot so about. So much about that. When I date and men are like, oh my God, you don't have kids. How have you like, never meet girls, women that are over 30 that don't have kids. I'm like, where, why would I have children now? I don't, to me, it's insane. That is really young to have kids, in my <laughs> I'm view. I'm just like, who are you dating? And <laughs> why would I have children? I mean, I'm not telling them my life story, but I'm like, I, this, that's like the most irresponsible thing that I could mm. do. With my history, it's bringing more life into this world. At the, at the stage that I'm at. Like, and with a person who doesn't want to be with me. Mm. Like, why would I do that? And I've only ever dated men that weren't, that were like one foot in, one foot out. So, mm. like, no. It's never felt right. It's, like, it's never yeah, felt right. For different it's reasons. Never been. I've never wanted children. Like, I want them in the future. I always talk about them in the future. I don't see them in the next two or three years. Yeah. Like, I'm still trying to work some stuff out. So, I don't... Um, I don't speak of them like I'm gonna have them tomorrow. Like I never wanted them soon. I've always wanted them, but I've never wanted them soon. I don't know when that's gonna change. That would be weird when it changes. I'd be like, oh my god. But also, it sounds oh like god. you want them when yeah. it's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you feel like you're able to be the parent that you want to be, mm-hmm. and actually that's pretty beautiful because mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people kind of well, maybe not a lot of people. That's harsh, but I mm-hmm. feel like some people it's just like because in society it's like that's what you do yeah you have kids yeah whatever it's like they almost people just fall into the pattern of this is what i do rather than thinking why yeah what can i give to this human and what can i receive yeah it's people don't necessarily think about those things yeah there are women out there that just get pregnant because they're old uh and they need to or like people feel that there there's a whole in the love that they've received in their life and like okay the child can feel that nope. and it's like nope or the child can repair this yeah. relationship that i have or the child can make this man want to stay with me no none of that is going you can only ever work on yourself like yeah. if you have a hole like i have many i have to pour into them myself yeah and like I say, like, the hardest thing, I keep mentioning it, but I, I want to just, like, make another point of it. Like, the hardest I know now, in 2019, like, this, 2018 has been amazing for me in the sense of, like, I've really stepped into something. Like, this project has become something. And, um, and I know that I need to do more work on my own vulnerability and whatever. Um... And so I made a few references to how much I've stored in my body. But as I'm talking to you, I'm like, I have had, should I just go through? Let me just, so the first thing that I had was the coma. So the coma took me out completely. Like, obviously it shut my whole, my brain, my body down. Well, you nearly died, right? Yeah, I did basically die, essentially. I had the whole, 
Clear. I'm doing an action that they can't see. <laughs> You're rubbing your hands I'm rubbing together. My hands together. You know when they like, when they say clear and they like pump your chest. Oh God, yeah. Like all of so that. you did. So your heart stopped. My heart actually stopped beating. So I actually died. And then to come back from that and to have um, and then to break my arm and to be completely out and I've got like metal in there. Wow. Yeah, I can see the scar. <laughs> like a proper scar. Um, and like I said, I've had the pityriasis when my whole body broke out, and that was crazy. And I'm starting with pityriasis, like that was like two years ago. And with that, um, it's like part of the psoriasis family, but with that, it's just an internal kind of, you just need to sort yourself out. There's no, the doctor cannot do anything okay. for you when you have that. And because I'm such a spiritual woo-woo person, I know that's a spiritual thing. Like when he looked at me and he was like, yep, I know what that is. Unfortunately, there's nothing we can do. You just need to wear that out. I'm like, are you for real? I've been working on my life for so long. I'm like, this is, it's an indicator that I've got more work to do and it's scary. Yeah. Um, I had the shingles and the craziest thing about the shingles and this is the thing, I'm one lesson that I have never learnt from my mum or anyone else is how to look after myself and it's something I struggle with all the time. But with shingles, I didn't, I didn't know it was deadly. I didn't know that. I didn't know, yeah. So they say that it's, it starts on your back and basically when it touches, it gets like, that it grows around okay. your back. It can start here and it grows, but it, it's not supposed to touch like you're always supposed to catch it before it touched. Okay. Um, I don't think I caught mine. It was stinging me. It was so painful. Um, I, I didn't catch it, but obviously I didn't die, but mine just kind of went away in a really weird way. By the time I got to the doctors, he was just like, yeah, it's leaving your system now. You've managed it. I don't know what you've done, but it's going. Um, but you need to like have never left it this long. I don't know how the hell you did that, and I'm I'm angry with myself because I know my pattern and I know that it, like the fact that I even made it to the doctors was a thing. Because me, it's just like you just used to leave things. I just leave everything. I've always been that person because it's like, what's the point? Are you changing that habit now though? Trying to right. Like I'm trying to like with my knee. So I, so then I've got this knee issue at the moment. It's so crazy. But with my knee, when I saw Donna again two weeks ago. The, one of the first things she said to me is, well, have you been to the doctors? And it almost made me cry. It almost made me cry because I hadn't been to the doctors and I've been struggling with it for a while. And you hadn't thought about going to the doctors? I just don't have time. But then it's like, well, that's not an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then you go to the doctors. I went to the doctors the day after and they signed me up for two weeks. And then I get anxious for other reasons because then I'm like, well, I'm not at work. And then I'm, it's, it's like prioritising myself is a consistent battle for me. Yeah, okay. Um, I'm like probably cutting through other things that have happened to me. My body's basically shut down in so many ways, so often, that now I, I'm so convinced that I have to, have to work for my body. Yeah. Um, yeah. Talking therapies isn't doing, I'm very, I'm very good at talking, but um, I have to work for my body because I'm so stiff and I hold so much that mm. I reckon that um, I've got this kind of energy healer lady that I'm going to be speaking to soon um, who's going to do some Reiki and whatever else on me but I also think that um, if I can put myself in a situation where I'm doing yoga often that that could help but it's um, the, the reason why I'm saying this is because we all need to work out how we need to heal ourselves and there's like no one way for yeah. everybody so if that is talking therapy then you can talk for it but you know what if you're dancing that's therapy um but it's a two it's definitely like two parts there's definitely like 
the physical movement part of it, and then there's like the talking part of it. Yeah. Um, and I've done a lot of talking, but I've yeah. not done any movement. So you feel like that's the next area of focus. It like, has to be. Yeah. Uh, and I think that I'm kind of going to put the dating down now until I do that. Yeah. Because it's just like I have nothing to. I have I have loads to offer, but not the right person is not showing up. And not that maybe you just <laughs> want to keep your energy for yourself yeah, for yeah, the time exactly. being. Yeah, yeah, it's true as well. <laughs> Um, so my last question mm-hmm. is, um, what would you say to your younger self? Oh my God. I'd say, it's weird though, because I, I, lo- I love this question. Um, there's one part of me that wants to say, tell someone what's going on. Go and tell somebody. Um, and if they, if I said that and the younger me told someone, I wouldn't be sitting here with you today. So then part yeah. of me is like, nah, that's like, but I, I would, I, I don't know. I'd love to say, tell someone. And I think the telling someone would be more of a case of, use your voice Yeah. more than. Which is a different message. Which is a it? different message than, yeah, tell someone, which is also important. But I also know that that would mean that I wouldn't be sitting here right now. Mm. Um... So that's kind of half of what I would say, but I think the bigger part of what I would say is you're just a baby girl. <laughs> yeah. You're a baby girl and you are loved. At the end of the day, whether you feel it or you don't feel it, you're loved. Like, you're loved by God, the universe. You know, you, you will find love in yourself eventually. But I think I'd say that, like, because I think that would make me cry as a young child. Mm-hmm. That would make me cry. And I think that I needed to cry. I, yeah. never, I didn't cry ever as a kid like it got to a point where I was like there's no point so do you know what I mean yeah um so I think I would definitely I definitely share that with myself yeah and I think can I add can I add another (laughs) I think when people say things like what would you say to your younger self the assumption is that you show up in spirit or in a dream and you communicate the message right because it's like how else are we supposed to talk to yourself so my my kind of thing would be I'd show up often. Okay. Because I'd be that per- like I'd be the reoccurring dream person. You'd be the support. Yeah. Like the constant. The constant support. I'd be like, hey girl, <laughs> just so you know that you're a baby girl and you are loved. Okay, peace out. Yeah. And I do that like I don't know every other month just to keep like because it has to be consistent. Yeah. I have such a weird brain. No, but it makes sense. <laughs> like you needed that consistency. I need, yeah. And that was the one. That was one of the things you really didn't have. Yeah. So it makes sense completely. Yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you, my darling. It's lovely chatting to you. Thank you. So a bit of a longer episode, but I hope you agree that it was all worth it because there was so much in that conversation and I really didn't want to cut any of it out because I just felt like it all needed to be out there. Um, I will share all of the details in the show notes um, as to where you can follow and find Rochelle. Also, I don't know whether you noticed, but um, there was a lot of heavy breathing from me (laughs) in that recording. Um, That was because it was about a week before I gave birth and I was just constantly out of breath. So I hope that that didn't bother you too much. (laughs) Um, 
I think that's it from me. I don't think there's anything else I want to say other than please um, join me next week for um, another episode of the Learning to Be podcast.